0: Hey, this is Melvin. We're actually on break from the Selling the Couch podcast, but I thought it would be fun just to share some of the most popular episodes as well as some of my most favorite episodes from uh, Selling the Couch. we have had over 200 episodes now, and I know that for me, listening to some of these old episodes, I always pick up something and learn something new. So I hope that you enjoy today's session. Before we do get to today's session, I just wanted you to, encourage you to check out the Selling the Couch directory if you haven't had a chance. Uh, basically, the directory makes it easier for us to connect and support one another as we grow our businesses. So after you register and you sign up, you can create a profile that lets us know more about your practice, the good work that you're doing in the world, uh, the unique niches that you serve, niches beyond just a traditional DSM diagnosis, uh, groups and workshops and retreats and areas of consultation, all of those different things. And after you fill that out, um, it's actually way uh, easier than it sounds. But uh, after you fill it out, your practice gets placed on a Google map. That way, fellow Couchies can find you in order to cross-refer clients. If they need a consult on a certain area, they can do that as well. One of the things that we actually have been working on that I'm just like really excited about um, with this recent update is we created a custom cross refer tool. Um, So if you look on any of these online communities, a lot of times you'll see, you know, hey, I'm looking for, you know, a clinician that that lives in this area, that accepts this insurance, that, you know, works with millennials. And so we thought, why not just make it easy and create a tool to do this? So you basically can run just some filters so you can, you know, ask questions like that and you click just a a number of different things and you get search results um, and it makes the process of just cross-referring a lot easier. You can learn more about the directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory and please enter the promo code podcast for your first month absolutely free. We'll get right to today's session. Here we go. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 155 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're doing well and hope you're having a fantastic day. So I'm a little sad about this episode because this will be the last episode of this particular podcast season. I'm actually going to take a little bit of a break in April and then come back to podcast episodes back in May. I think as STC grows and I start to do multiple things in my career, I've, I've always tried to value self-care. I haven't always done it as well in practice, but I've tried intentionally to, as much as I can, to try to value self-care because I know that if I'm not, not functioning in my optimal self, either physically and mentally, then you know I'm not going to be able to serve you guys well. I'm not going to be able to be a good clinician, a good husband, a good uncle, and all of those different things. So when I do these last episodes I always like to do something a little bit different with these episodes and I was trying to think about what to do for this particular one and as you guys may know I love reading I do it's like I don't know I genuinely like love books and I love learning and when my brother and I were growing up one of the things one of my most favorite childhood memories was that my parents would take my brother and I to the library every single week and we would pick you know pick up books like Encyclopedia Brown and stuff like that and as I've gotten to be an adult uh, I just I still love reading and now I try to read somewhere between 12 and 24 books per year I mean, initially what I was doing was I was reading like just you know books that you would get at the bookstore and then I switched to kind of Kindle books books. And more recently, I've switched to Audible because I just learned I'm I'm a very auditory learner. And I also like the fact that you can go at two times the speed on Audible. So you can uh, get quite a bit of reading done fairly fast. So if you, guys are, if you guys are curious, you can always check out the Selling the Couch resource page, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash resources, just to learn the books, the, whatever current book that I'm reading. Hey, friends, we are on sabbatical from the STC podcast. This is my first sabbatical in seven years, but we will be back in April with brand new episodes of the STC podcast. In the meantime, there are a lot of things happening still with STC, Uh, Among them is a brand new workshop that we put together for you that you can sign up at a date and time that works for you. If you are a successful private practitioner and interested in launching an online course, you can check out that workshop over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Again, that's sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Every once in a while I read a book and it makes me pause and it's and I keep thinking to myself, "Oh, I totally need to share this with selling the selling the couch community and selling the couch listeners." And which brings me to today's episode. So, I recently read a book called The Millionaire Next Door: The Surprising Secrets of America's Wealthy by Thomas J. Stanley and William D. Danko. And as you guys know for me like I'm not of like the whole millionaire mindset none of that kind of stuff but I do feel like there's wisdom in learning how people generate wealth and how people accumulate wealth and then how People also protect their wealth. And because for me, you know, as you guys know, I'm the son of immigrant parents. My parents worked extremely hard. They were very frugal. And I'm so grateful for all of those lessons that they taught to me. But understandably, a lot of things around retirement and wealth building and all that stuff, you know, they were new immigrants. And so I can't fault them or anything like that. But we just never learned any of that stuff. And I definitely didn't learn any of that stuff in school. So I've always had this interest in personal finance. I don't know when it started, probably, I think, toward the end of grad school. And I don't know, there was like this season where actually, before I even started STC, I had thought about creating a personal finance blog for mental health providers. And now what I'm starting to slowly do is integrate some of that into the Selling the Couch blog. But I've always been interested in personal finance. And so today I wanted to actually just share three kind of big lessons that I learned from this book. So just to give you a little background, basically what the authors did is they interviewed a bunch of different millionaires. And what they try to do is there's a bunch of like really nerdy data on there. But they, you know, had all these data points and stuff. And they try to figure out what the habits of these millionaires were, how they accumulated money, what professions they went toward. It's really pretty fascinating. But The book itself is fairly narrative, so it's not so dry. Before we get to today's podcast session, I just wanted to take a moment to say a final thank you to the team over at Hushmail for supporting this month's podcast episodes. If you guys are looking for HIPAA-compliant hipaa compliant email service. Definitely check out Hushmail. They have an awesome reputation in our field. They're used by lots and lots of our colleagues. And I know about that because a lot of them reply or send me an email saying thank you so much for recommending Hushmail. The team over to Hushmail, they actually gave STC listeners a special code that you can't find anywhere else. And that gives you a nice little 20% discount off of services. And so if you just go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Hushmail, H-U-S-H-M-A-I-L, you can actually apply that code as well. So let's jump right into today's sessions. So I wanted to share three things, but you guys know me, I'm a little bit overachiever, so I had a bonus one as well. But the three things I wanted to share is Three key takeaways. The first key takeaways. I'm going to share the takeaways and then I'll go a little deep into them because I know that sometimes you guys like to write things down. So the first one is we need to think both offensively and defensively when it comes to our income. The second thing is most millionaires don't live the lifestyle or the consumption patterns we think they do. And the next one is that millionaire parents don't provide economic outpatient care for their children. And then my bonus tip is one of the key things that these researchers found is that millionaires actually selected certain professions. And I was like, when I started reading that chapter, I was a little surprised. I think you will be as well. So let's get right to that first point. The first point is we need to think both offensively and defensively when it comes to income. So I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, my whole understanding of wealth and having an income is all about offensive mindedness, right? So I need to create income channels. And it would be ideal if I could create multiple income channels. So basically, I need to do what I can to generate the most amount of income possible. Now, To be honest, I had thought about it, this other thing I'm going to mention right now, but I'd never fully grasped it until I read this book. And so what the authors say is that a lot of millionaires, they think offensively, definitely, but they also think defensively. And in fact, they actually put more of an emphasis on defensively. So basically, what we want to do is we want to figure out legal ways to minimize the taxes that we pay. So some of the options, um, there was a recent conversation in the, in the STC community and just all about retirement and people had just a, a range of different things that they were doing. So there's a, at some point, maybe I'll create sort of a, a separate episode on what I've learned when it comes to retirements and funding and stuff. But just some of the options offhand is if you have something called a Roth IRA. So if you generally, if you see the word Roth in front of something, that basically means that you put in money and you pay tax on that money up front, but then the money grows tax free. And so when you withdraw it, you actually don't get taxed on it. So especially if you are quite a few years from retirement there's a lot of advantages to to doing roths so there's the roth ira there's if you're a business owner of course so there's things like the sep ira and then one that i'm looking at and likely going to be starting investing into which is called an individual 401k so this is if you're a sole proprietor for example there's even something called an hsa a health savings account so if you have a high deductible on the insurance in the uh, on the health insurance that you carry You can actually put money aside in a health savings account, and the really nice thing is that it counts as I mean, definitely check with the qualified expert because I don't play one on a podcast. But the way when I'm recording this right now, one of the nice things with an HSA is that it grows uh, you can put in money and it's tax free and it grows tax free, and then when you withdraw, it's tax free. The only thing is that. Money has to be used for health related expenses. So, but it's a pretty cool vehicle. And then the nice thing is, whatever money you contribute can actually lower the total taxes that you pay. So, the second point is most millionaires don't live the lifestyle or have the consumption patterns that we think they do. So, the authors found a couple of like pretty key and interesting things. And so one is, they found that the majority of millionaires live below their means, and they're very frugal when it comes to their spending. So really, they think and they budget and they plan. I mean, I think, for me, for the longest time, words like budgeting, like absolutely terrified me. But it was interesting to read that because here were people that were actually accumulating quite a bit of money, but they were just very judicious in how they spent their money. Now, the way that I read it and the way that I believe the authors are saying it is, it's not that millionaires are stingy with their money. It's more that they realize the hard work they put in to generate this money and they're just very judicious in, in terms of what they spend it on and how they spend it and all of those different things. The second thing is that millionaires are willing to pay for quality, but not for image. I feel like this is even when I've looked at online communities. I feel like we even as a field struggle with this, right? So it's all about generating the six figure practice. It's about, you know, doing such and such in your business. Like, and so there is this all this emphasis on wealth generation that I think that it's very easy, even in our field, to just focus on image and what our colleagues are doing and all of those things. So it's interesting seeing what. Sometimes happens in our field, and then reading this little piece of information that millionaires are willing to pay for quality but not for image. And then the next kind of interesting point is I know that many of us commute to our offices, to our workplaces. So there was an interesting point in there about buying cars. And so they basically said when it comes to buying cars, they make a sound investment, and then they keep the car for years. And during just sort of a little side story, during my internship year, I was very fortunate to be able to take Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, which if you haven't taken that class or haven't heard of it, I highly recommend that you check it out. Because for me, I think it was a good, stable, like financial understanding. Or it helped to break down personal finance and investing and budgeting and stuff in a way that was easy to understand. But when I took this class, I was also connected with a mentor. This is someone had had gone through the class. And I was very fortunate because this mentor also happened to be like incorporated a lot of like things that we're talking about. And they were actually very close to being a millionaire. And it was just interesting to kind of hear what he said about cars. So he basically said, you know, for him and his family, it was basically that a car is a place to get is a way to get from point A to point B, it's not really a status symbol. And so when he told me that I'm sitting here looking at my Toyota Solara Sport Coupe, right, so that I bought back in 2004, but I was like, you know, and At that moment, I didn't have the wisdom of, you know, I was a 22-year-old kid, right, who coming out of college, and I was just like, I want the cool car, but I didn't think practically, right? Like, it would have been really smart to get a four-door car just for the future. But it was just interesting to hear that. So the book actually goes into a lot of interesting things around, like, what sort of car brands give the most bang for the buck in terms of mileage and stuff like that. And then one of the final things related to this point of that millionaires don't live the lifestyle or the consumption patterns that we do is that millionaires actually tend to live in more middle class neighborhoods in order to avoid keeping up with the Joneses or the Vargises. I don't know why I wanted to say that, but I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, it was just such an interesting way of thinking about it, right? So that the neighborhoods that we live in, that they can dictate our consumption style. And even, you know, some neighborhoods have things like HOA fees and things like that. So a lot of stuff that I was really starting to think about. So third big point is that millionaire parents don't provide economic outpatient care. So to be completely honest, this one was a really tough one for me to understand. And it's still that one that I'm, I'm kind of working through. And what the authors found in their studies was that most millionaires are not financially supported by their parents. And in fact, they model the same pattern to their children. For example, like there was like one piece of tip that will always like resonate with me. So they basically said that millionaires don't really disclose how much wealth they have to their children, especially when they're younger because it sets them up with certain expectations and it can potentially impact how their own sweat equity and, and the hard work that they're willing to put in. So, just thought that was such an interesting way of looking at it and there was a couple of stories in there and I think one like particular story of how these parents in order to show love to their kids were like giving like several thousand dollars to their kids a month and But when the parents passed away, that income wasn't there anymore, and now these kids had this sort of lifestyle that they were clearly couldn't be affording. And so it was just a lot for me to sort of think about. So and then the bonus tip that I wanted to share is that one of the key things they found was that millionaires chose the right profession. What was really interesting was, so you would think like maybe that they were, you know, in the medical field, or they were like engineers or or accountants or something like that. So What was interesting was, and this is a line from there, was self-employed people are four times more likely to become millionaires, which is pretty cool. So for many of us, right, so that are listening to this podcast, and I just thought that's such an interesting little nugget. But what they found is it's actually not profession dependent necessarily, but it is more of these other sort of lifestyle choices that they make. Now, there was actually this side little nugget that I wanted to share, which is interesting for each of us as we think about niches and the services that we we provide. And the authors were arguing that, you know, especially as baby boomers and subsequent generations start to live a lot longer, there's going to be more demand for products and services that cater to that population. And the authors specifically actually mentioned counselors and psychologists as an area where there is a lot of demand. So you can think about, for example, like working, you know, having a private practice that mainly works with the elderly or elderly caregivers or something like that, right? So that chapter in itself is one definitely to listen to and uh, to kind of get your brain jogging on on some of the ways that this might be applicable. So Again, the three tips plus the bonus tip is we need to think both offensively and defensively when it comes to income. Two is that most millionaires don't live the lifestyle or the consumption patterns we think they do. Number three is that millionaire parents don't provide economic outpatient care. And the bonus tip is one of the key things that they found was that millionaires chose the right profession. So, hope you guys found this episode helpful. Before I sign off, I just wanted to say thank you so much for continuing to listen to the podcast. I don't know why I'm coming emotional, but as I do more of these episodes, there was always a part of me I didn't know how far. I could go with this podcast. And even at the beginning, I know that you know some folks who I know were well-meaning, they were like, how many topics can you have on, on a podcast like this? And I was pretty scared of that. And it's been cool. It's been cool. I think it's been neat and just cool and humbling to see some of the topics that I've been able to have conversations about and just the amazing people I've been able to connect with. And I'm so grateful to each of you for taking the time to listen. I believe when this, around when this episode will be released, the STC podcast will pass a half a million downloads, which is crazy for a tiny little podcast that I still record in a, in a room in my house. So thank you. And I will see you in a month. And uh, as we wrap up, I just wanted to again, thank the team over at Hushmail for just being wonderful supporters of the podcast. I think one of the guys, one of the wonderful things about sponsors is, you know, creating a podcast like this. And especially as STC grows, there's definitely more expenses that come. For example, with the podcast I had, I did everything on my own. And now I have a podcast editing team that takes care of editing a lot of this stuff. And And sponsors help to support the podcast and to to offset some of those costs. I wanted to invite you to download the free online course guide. If you are thinking about launching an online course and just want some things that have been helpful uh, for me and some of the tough lessons that I learned along the way, you can again download that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course guide. And as I mentioned right at the beginning, we're actually starting a live cohort called Online Course School. This is a great opportunity to join with other therapists to validate and launch and record your online course. The best way to find out about this and to keep updated when the core launches is to download, again, the online course guide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course guide. Have a great rest of your day and uh, I will see you in a month or so. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. Hey there, hope you enjoyed today's podcast session, and especially if this is your second time listening to this podcast session, I hope that you've picked up just a a new level of insight and something that helps you on your private practice journey. As I mentioned at the beginning, uh, we'll be back with new episodes very soon, and before we wrap up again, just wanted to encourage you to check out the Selling the Couch directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Um, I actually wanted to use this time just to talk a little bit more about not just the director, but what we're doing and what my big vision for STC is. You know, as Selling the Couch grows, uh, what really weighs on me is how do we use um, our influence and how do we use the resources? And for me, how do I steward well um, all of what I'm creating. And so we're actually taking 50% of the profits from directory sales to create a scholarship fund for kids who have been rescued from brothels in the commercial sex trade. Um, When I was a grad student, I um, was very fortunate to Work three weeks in Bombay, India with the NGO and with social workers in Kamartipura, which is the largest concentrated red light district in the world. Um, It's the largest red light district in Asia. And uh, I spent three weeks there, um, spent uh, a day right in the heart of the the red light district, um, going into brothels. With um, with with the social workers um, doing lots of education on everything from HIV/AIDS um, all the way to uh, trying to figure out what what some of these workers the challenges they were facing and I spent the majority of my time about five hours away um, helping at a school where the kids of these workers um, were were and uh, just to. Teaching different classes, uh, getting to spend time with them, reading bedtime stories to the little ones. And f- uh, ever since all of that happened, I just have always felt like, man, if I ever get the chance to do some big things in the world, I want to make sure that uh, everything I create uh, leads to something way bigger than me. And so, um, and fortunately, selling the couch happened, and now the STC directory is happening. And so, this is where. Uh, I'm hoping that you know, we can dedicate our time and our resources, and I really have some big plans as we go forward with this. Again, you can learn more about the Selling the Couch directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Be sure to enter the promo code podcast to get your first month absolutely free.